Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans learn about their heritage. We talk to experts, authors, and everyday Italian Americans on all things Italian from traditions, culture, food, genealogy, travel, and more. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano, and I have with me my co host, Dolores Alfieri. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking to Michaela Malozzi on some, well, actually, Dolores did an, a wonderful interview with her. And this is another true Italian-American episode because I'm still in Italy searching my ancestral roots and history, and Dolores is back in the U.S. So, Dolores, how's everything going back in the States? Oh, everything's great. We miss you, Anthony. We're looking forward to having you back full of Wi-Fi whenever you need it, <laughs> whenever we need it. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to so, being back. It's, uh, yeah. it's been a good trip. It's been a lot of fun. I mean, I've been posting some stuff on our Facebook page. I've been visiting a lot of my great-grandparents' ancestral villages, which has just been an amazing experience. And Dolores and I will talk about it together on an episode once I get back. And I've been able to kind of physically and mentally download all the information because it's been a lot of information. And I've got some great photos that we'll share with you through some format. I've even got some video of me in the record rooms of some of these small villages with the you know, the people looking up the information it was funny, Dolores, but I was in the one, my grandma's uh, father's ancestral village, Sarno, and I'm in the records room with the, with this gentleman. He's looking through these old books for me, and all of a sudden, a woman comes in from the restaurant with a, with a tray of espressos and delivers them, and everyone in the building just stops and sits down. <laughs> And I got this. I got this all on video, and he just stops and he sits down, put, puts the book puts the book aside, sits down, looks at the other woman. She sits down. They take out their espressos. They put the sugar in. They mix it. They drink it. They wait a minute or two. They get up and they just resume. Oh my lord, that's terrific. That's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, very different than here. Well, we should tell the listeners that this is one of the reasons why I interviewed Michaela alone because we are kind of cramming you know this intro recording in because you don't you don't have you know a uh, reliable wi-fi and you're around your entire large family so uh, we just thought it'd be better and smoother if i did it on my own considering the situation so absolutely and and uh dolores's brother dominic was right when he told me that well the wi-fi in italy is crappy i kind of figured like well he can't be 100 percent right because it's like you know technology is just getting better and better but no he was 100 percent right usually is it's loving and annoying at the same time yeah <laughs> that's great well we know that uh, you know uh, aside from work you're having a good time and it's going really well and, and I think that everyone not just people who know you personally are but you know our listeners and such are really enjoying the photos so we all would kind of wish we could be there with you yeah it's been fun and, and you know it's kind of we just interviewed Mike Piazza and you know he said something in his interview with us where he said you know my kids definitely know where they come from and i feel i was thinking about his quote just being here cuz i think my kids for sure now 
you know, know where they come from. They had the opportunity to meet our family over here. My one daughter came to do some of the research with me. That's been a real positive part. All right, so with that, I'm going to introduce our guest. But before I do, I want to take a minute so you can hear a word from our sponsor, the National Italian American Foundation. I'm John Viola, president of the National Italian American Foundation, proud supporters of the Italian American podcast. At NIAF, we know there's nothing more important than family and we invite you to be a part of ours. We work hard to protect our great heritage, to promote the Italian language, to build stronger ties between Italy and the United States, and to serve as your voice in our nation's capital. Most importantly, with over a million dollars a year in scholarships and grants, we provide young Italian Americans help in earning a solid education and becoming future leaders for our community. To find out more about how your support serves the community, visit us online at www.niaf.org and become a part of the NIAF family. All right, so as we mentioned, our guest for today's episode is Michaela Malozzi. She's an Emmy Award-winning host and producer of the popular travel dance TV and web series Bare Feet. Born and raised in Stamford, Connecticut, of Italian immigrant parents, she grew up with well-preserved traditions of the Southern Italian culture, and her appreciation for folk traditions started at a very young age. She began dancing when she was three, started playing the piano at age five, was trained in classical and jazz piano, played violin and flute, trained at the Stamford City Ballet School and Center Stage Dance Studio, and was choreographing and performing with prestigious companies in the tri-state area once she reached high school, which is all... Amazing. <laughs> in college, Michaela attended New York University for music composition, studying abroad for two summer semesters through the NYU Florence program, and as an AIAE Programma Ponte scholarship recipient in Rome in 2003. Inspiration from her own experiences led Michaela to create the Bare Feet blog, documenting her dance adventures around the world, which then evolved into the Emmy Award winning TV series on public television nationwide. Bare Feet with Michaela Malozzi, combining her two passions in life, travel and dance. And while this interview was conducted by Dolores, I did have the opportunity to trade emails and go back and forth a bit with Michaela. And she's a really dynamic and exciting person. So we were really thrilled to have her on this episode. All right, now I'm going to hand it over to Dolores. She's going to give us a quote to take us into the interview. Anthony, this quote is by Richard Bach. And uh, we chose this quote because... Michaela's really the story of somebody who had a dream and kept working and working through, as you'll hear in the interview segment, a lot of setbacks. And like a typical Italian-American, she comes from a blue-collar family. She wasn't handed anything. She really worked hard. And now she has this amazing television series. She's Emmy Award winning. And, you know, she walks through the streets of New York City. People stop her and tell her how much they love her show. So it's really a dream come true kind of story. So this is the quote, you are never given a dream without also being given the power to make it true. Michaela, welcome to the Italian American podcast. Grazie Dolores, thank you. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm very good. So obviously from your introduction, you are a hard worker. <laughs> yeah. It's a long intro. Sorry, guys. It's a, but it's, you know, it's important. I felt like it was important for our listeners to hear because we talk a lot on the show about this trait that many of us share as a people, as Italian Americans, which is 
the hustle, the hard mm-hmm. work, right? Yep. yep. And the, the immigrant work ethic that gets passed down through the generations. So I, I thought it was very important for our listeners to hear that you are certainly in that vein. Yeah. My parents are both born in Southern Italy. So I directly grew up with this work ethic of we came here for a better life and, and we want to give you as many opportunities as we can, but it's up to you to, to make it work. You know, that's every immigrant story is do it or, or what was the point? You know, what, what was the point of us coming here? And it's not something negative, but I think there's this undertone of an expectation of being born through an immigrant family of, of understanding that there is a reason why your family came here and it's your duty and out of respect to your family Mm. for leaving their home, Mm. do something meaningful and something that everyone can be proud of. I I think that's, that, that was really important to my family. That really resonated with me. We just said it kind of, that happens to me every now and then I get like chills when somebody says something and that was it. You know, I feel like there can be, Oh, you know, with what we would call like American children, where that mm-hmm. pressure from their parents can can go in an opposite direction. Like, you know, yeah. it's so much pressure to to live up to your expectations. But I feel like for immigrant children, and I'll speak, of course, from my experience, Italian Americans, you it's interpreted differently. It's it's an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's you not know? exactly. It's more inspiration versus pressure. Right. But you do feel that duty. It's almost right. this duty to to make them proud, to make your ancestors proud. You know, we're not living on the land. I could have been born in Italy. Mm-hmm. I could have been, I could have had a, a different life, but because of the decisions that my families, both of my families made, because my grandparents, both sides of my grandparents brought their children. So my parents actually met in the States, but those two families making this conscious decision of leaving their homes and coming to a place that's totally foreign to them has impacted my life and my family's life. So it's, yeah, inspiration is a, is a better, I think a better, a better word to use for sure. So you're starting to touch on it a little bit, but we, uh, you know, if you want to tell me a little bit about your family, a little bit more and your upbringing. So I know in this mini bio that you read, it was, um, I took dance lessons and music lessons. I, I think there's an important part of my family. Also, my sister was born with cerebral palsy. So she physically could not do the things that I could do, but she's brilliant. And she uses technology. Thanks to, she would go to Easter seals and she used technology for her education and to become very independent. So she uses a joystick with her mouth and uses now tablets and, and, and does computer programming. And she's absolutely brilliant. So growing up, it was interesting because my sister was the brains. I mean, we were both education. was a very big, big part of us both growing up, but she did everything that she could do. And my parents gave me all the opportunities that she wasn't able to do, which in retrospect, now I realize, but as a kid, and they didn't think of it in that way. It was, I think it just naturally happened because I was very creative. I would, I mean, I was the crazy kid that would put on shows (laughs) for my family, like every single family gathering, which is a lot when you come from an Italian American (laughs) family, right? It's like every single weekend we'd be with my cousins. You needed a lot of material for all the dinners. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And so it was just nonstop. Oh, Michaela's putting on a show. Okay. And it's funny in retrospect, because now my, my cousins who I would I would direct them. I'd be like, okay, you have to go here, put on this costume. I had all these dance costumes for my dance recitals. And my cousin came up to me recently and he said, you know, Michaela, you were born to do what you're doing now because you've been doing it since you were a kid, mm. you know, like telling people what to do and, <laughs> and making these shows. And now it's actually, 
it's worked out for you in the long run. It was this wonderful space of, which I think is rare for an immigrant family as well, because my family saw how much I loved dancing and making music and the arts and really found opportunities for myself to be able to do that. So I was part of every scholarship program that you could think of, the arts, after-school arts programs. I was a scholarship kid at the ballet school because my family, not only were they, you know, my father was a blue-collar worker and my mom was working in real estate. They were also raising two kids, one with a disability. So you, you have limited resources, but they made things work. When I read your bio initially, I thought, wow, all this musical training, all this artistic training. And I kind of joke a lot on the show about um, being a modern, free-spirited, creative young girl in the immigrant family. For me, you know, of course I was I was crazy loved and, you know, taken care of and everything. But mm-hmm. the stereotypical thing is they want you to be lawyers and bankers, yep. right? Yep. And doctors. And, and yep. that's not because they want to clip your wings. It's because they don't want you to struggle and suffer. Right, right. And that was the same. I mean, most of my cousins and rest of my family, my sister and I are relatively the black sheeps of the family because I think, like you said, you know, there's certain expectations that, in an immigrant family, they want you to live a better life. But I think my parents saw the amount of joy that all of these things brought me. And I am so fortunate to have found something that I really love to do and have been successful with it. But along the way, I worked a corporate job. I worked, you know, I worked other jobs in between, you know, going to school and and having these incredible opportunities that my parents put me through school. So that's another thing, you know, these opportunities for them, they always saw education as number one. But at some point, you have to realize using your business tactics and, and ways of creating a job that can be lucrative, but also makes you happy. And that's extremely rare. And to have my parents 100% support me in the sense of, we know this is what you were meant to do. And we're not going to stop you. We're not going to get in your way. Of course, every once in a while, my parents will be like, well, you know, I, I heard this opening of this job and that right. job while well, I'm in the process, which is totally normal, mm-hmm. totally normal. Mm-hmm. But every step along the way, they've been, you know, this is Michaela. Let her do it her own way. And she's always been this way. So she's the most comfortable in this setting of, of being creative and thinking outside the box and coming up with insane ideas. But somehow they work out, you know. So for my parents, it was never a struggle to convince them that I'm going to be doing this crazy journey of creating a television show on my own without any TV background. Yeah, you know. the story is like so incredible and inspiring. So let's let's get into that a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about what you do. I did mention in the intro, but I'll repeat it in case you know what wasn't clear that you started this whole journey as a blog, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how it started and and just basically where it is now, what what you're doing. Yeah. So you mentioned in my bio, I I studied abroad in Florence, my sophomore year of college, and I caught the travel bug. It was the first time I had traveled alone internationally, really traveled alone anyway. And I fell back in love with my own heritage on my own of really learning the language because at home, my family, we speak a dialect. So it was like learning actual true Italian or starting to learn true Italian Then I applied for a scholarship the next year. And I just fell in love with travel. And from there, I was always dancing and making music, but I found I would sort of jump in 
to these holidays and festivals that were happening in all these places I was visiting and immediately making a connection with people like breaking down barriers, whether I could speak the language or not. I'm dancing with these people and they're opening their doors to me like, oh, my mother's making dinner. You have to come over. And, you know, and and I got addicted to this high of having that experience over and over and over again. And I'm the type of person, you know, I have dance training, so I have the vocabulary to be able to do this. So basically, I fast forward, you know, working in the music industry for quite a a long time. And then I would make a point to travel at least once a year. I'd save up my money and either meet friends who were traveling. So I'd go to Budapest when my friend was, was getting a Fulbright in Hungary. And going to Argentina when my friend was backpacking in South America. And the week that I said, "Ah, this is the time I could take off from work. He's like, I'll be in Argentina. Let's go to Buenos Aires. I'm like, cool, I'll meet you there. You know, those type of things of really budget, budget travel. Like we stayed at a hostel, but I was with a friend. So I wasn't traveling solo. I'd meet up with people. I'd stay on their couch. But I would always seek out people through dance and music. And I decided to start documenting my adventures and it started as a blog. And when I decided someone came up to me and was like, you know, you should really make a TV show about this. I'm like, okay, no TV background, no production background. And I decided to hire some friends cause I worked in the music industry. So I had people in the TV industry, hired three friends. We stayed in my grandmother's farmhouse in Minturno, which is in Southern Italy between Rome and Naples on the West coast. Mm-hmm. And every year, in July, they have La Sagra de la Reña, which is this festival of the wheat, this wheat harvest festival. And the women dress up like Pacchiana, the outfits with the hats, and they do Tarantella, Minturnese, they do all these dances. And I thought, oh, great. What if I film my first experience or my experience of rediscovering my own roots and then take that idea around the rest of the world? Because I can't start this project officially, if I'm going to make a TV show, I can't go to other people's cultures without going to mine first. Mm. So that's what it was. It was this crazy time of, I had no idea what I was doing never been in front of the camera. We filmed, took a week and it was, it's Italy. So everyone's like, Oh, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out when you're here. And then we get there and it's a a big mess, but it it was beautiful. It was wonderful. And that's, you know, Italy's like that, you know? So we do that. And in that I've been to over 26 countries for the project and I started that in 2010. That was six years ago. And it took me five years to compile 13 episodes that are quality episodes. So as I continued to do this project, I would get sponsorship and trying to get funding from some of the tourism boards. And eventually now the show's airing on PBS nationally. It's been airing on a, a local PBS station in New York City called NYC Life. I have two Emmy Awards. I mean, it's like, it's insane where it's grown from a blog to a YouTube series to this TV series and to the people that we're touching. I mean, I'll be a hundred percent honest. This was all selfish. I wanted to make this show so I could travel the world and learn every single dance I could possibly learn. That's awesome. And along the way I found that I could make that happen because I'm not independently wealthy. If I was, I would do it, you know, mm-hmm. but I'm not. So I found but that would be too easy then. Right. <laughs> I imagine I wouldn't know. Yeah, right. Right. Just write a check, right? But it, it, I found that creating this series helped me keep this project going. And along the way, it's it's touched so many people in ways that I never expected. I've had people reach out to me who are inspired to travel. You know, they never left where they were. And they're like, for example, Turkey. We went our last episode in the season, we traveled to Turkey and I do belly dance and I do a whole bunch of other dances. But we show 
these places in a completely different way versus top 10 places to see. It's more of the people that I'm meeting because that's what was happening when I was traveling. And there is this shift in what travel means. The whole definition of the title bare feet is because I go there with the intention of almost being naked. And I, I come into this place and I take on the culture through the dance and music and costume going in with a clean slate and coming out as trying to be a part of that, that culture as much as possible through the dances and music. And I was lucky that no one else is really doing this. No one else is doing what I'm doing. So I really tapped into something and that wasn't my intention. I never thought like, Oh, I found a niche that no one else is hitting. It just happened to be, these are the two things that I love to do the most. And I put them together to make something that's, I find, I think is, I have the best job in the world. It's stressful because <laughs> I'm doing sure, everything. Yeah. But it's it's really wonderful to see what's really wonderful to see is, you know, years of of these dance lessons and music lessons and growing up dancing with my family and having my parents just so incredibly proud to know that it wasn't just something that was part of my life as a kid. These things that really shaped me as a person have become my life overall. And they were a part of that and they were able to facilitate that and they were able to help that. And they were supporting that emotionally, you know, supporting my schooling. It was something like my father, he'll laugh when he hears this, but every time the show's on TV, he's like crying. Oh my goodness. (laughs) That's adorable. He's so proud (laughs) that, you know, that it's actually oh, it's so beautiful. a show. There's a show where his daughter gets to share her dance adventures, which was a crazy idea. Let's be serious. This is a crazy idea. I'm going <laughs> to dance around the world, right? That's crazy. It's insane. But, you know, you make a good point, which is that there are not a lot of people doing it. There's no really, you know, nobody doing it because there are a lot of travel shows, right? And they, they all might have a formulaic approach or they even might have a different approach. But what you're doing is it's way more than the travel show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, it penetrates any mold that I, I mean, that I've seen. Again, it wasn't my in- initial intention, but I just lucked out that this was something completely unique. And to be honest, when I started back in 2010, just as the blog, people were like, oh, you're too niche. You know, you're focusing on traveling. That's way too niche. You need to broaden it. I said, no, this is what I want to focus on. And then I was lucky that all of a sudden niche became a thing. A thing. Yeah. (laughs) So they're like, oh, you found your niche. (laughs) Yeah. Now everyone tells you, you got to narrow it down. It's too big. Yeah. Yeah. So it worked out. It worked out in my favor. It certainly sounds like you've, you have that uh, magic mix of a passion for it and hard work. You know, you're willing to put in the work. It's not just a passion and then it stops there. You're actually right. implementing it. And I, I feel like that's really important to success in a lot of ways. Totally. Did, did you intend to have a show at some point when you started the blog or you just when you blogging, you were just like, oh, this is what I'm going to do to. Well, it's funny. Yeah, no, it's funny. So the idea actually started as a tour company. I thought, you know, I'm having these amazing experiences. I want people to have these same experiences that I'm having because they're awesome. And so I was pitching it to create branded tours through other tour operators because I wasn't just going to start a tour company. I thought, let me partner with a bigger company. I'll say, let me put together these itineraries for you. They're beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And people were interested, but it was right after the market crashed in 2008. And they're like, nobody's traveling. This is not going to go anywhere. So I kept having this idea. And I was talking to a friend a couple of years later. And he said, why don't you start a TV show? So the TV show idea actually started first. And I thought, okay. And that's when I 
started a production company, started an LLC, decided to go to Minturno to stay with my grandmother, hire my friends. We shot for a week. We came back. My friends, the woman who I hired, her name is Bridget Pilardi. She's brilliant. And she put together a sizzle reel and we were pitching it. I wanted to be on Travel Channel. I thought it was going to be great. And I pitched it to a third party production company. They sign right away and they're like, we're going to pitch it to Travel Channel. Turns out Travel Channel had a similar idea for a show hmm. that they've already signed, which didn't go anywhere. I think they only had one episode and that was it And because mm-hmm. then it decided to go all male. But the production company wow. basically held my video hostage for a year because I was signed with them wow. for a year. So in that time, that's when the realization hit me. I was like, I'm not doing this to be on TV. I'm doing this because I genuinely love meeting people through dance and music in these places I visit. So that's how the blog started was I was my hands were tied. I could not touch. And I had invested my savings into this project. I spent way more, too much money. And, I, you know, now I know that. But but at the time, <laughs> I was like, this is going to be brilliant and blah, blah, blah. So the blog came from being forced to not be able to touch that footage. So I said, I want to write. I'm a good writer. I want to share my stories. So I started writing about the travels I was doing. I was living in New York City, which is one of the most diverse cities in the world, which has dance and music and events and everything at my fingertips. Every single night you can go to some sort of dance or music or international cultural event. So I was doing that every single night. Every other night I'd go out and write a review or take pictures. I'd post it. And that's how the blog started out of being forced to do that. And it made me hone my craft of telling a story. And so for about a year I had to just work on the blog. And then I started making short videos and I wasn't editing, but I would just film like a 30 second video of whatever I was watching, post it and put it as part of my written story to show the actual dance. Cause I'd describe it and the history, but then I would show a little snippet. And then when I was able to get my footage back, I decided to hire an editor to put together these stories because I could edit short little things, but I, these were beautiful. This is beautiful footage. These are like my friend who's now this award-winning director. You know, she shot this and it would have been a sin for me to try and piece it together. So we started making some longer form YouTube videos and like series. So there was like a, a six-part series in Italy. Then I, I was able to shoot in Argentina, made another six-part series. And those are part of the PBS episodes. Oh, you know, they the, are. That's yeah. terrific. Okay. And the Argentina episode actually is what I won Best Host for, for an Emmy. So it's, it's like these, it seems so long ago in my brain, but it was such a formidable time for creating bare feet. And the only way I figured out how to do this was actually just doing it. So me traveling alone with my camera and holding a giant monopod, like a selfie stick and talking to the camera (laughs) prepared me for when I had a crew person holding the camera, you know, and, and just that idea of, you know, I don't know how to do this, but I'm going to jump in it anyway and hone my craft. So yeah, it started as the blog. But through some weird turn of events, because that person said to me, you should start a TV show, I ended up in this place where I originally wanted to be. Right. Not the way that I wanted to get there, but I ended up there. And I think this journey so far has taken me six years. It's six years in. And I, I am forever grateful that it did take me this long because within those six years, I've really learned how to make a good TV show. I've really learned how to understand how this industry works. Right. You know? Well, you, you could have quit when that company hijacked oh, totally. your video. I mean, that's a fork in the road that a lot of people would look at and say, you see, 
nothing works out. I mean, right. you know, like here's my dream and now I'm screwed and I was going to be on the travel channel and now I'm not. But that- it, it sounds like you kind of step back and regrouped and the path has led you, like you just said, exactly where you wanted to be. Just you took a different route, but you yeah. built it. I mean, you, you're able to be doing a show that's aired nationally for yeah. millions of people to see because you had the training, you put yourself in that. Yeah. What I love the best, the most is, and I think not a lot of people are ever able to do this, but I was able, and I am able to share something so personal. My first episode is me in my family's hometown with my grandmother, my nonna Pina, this small, tiny town that was completely destroyed during World War II. You know, it's not like we're going to Rome or Venice or Florence. It's a place that nobody's ever heard of. And it's really showing something that's completely, completely unique to me, to my family, to my history. And what's incredible about that is I'm getting emails from people with their last name, Malazzi, their maiden name, Malazzi, wow. like, oh, we might be related. I know my, my grandfather's from Castelforte, which is like right next door and all this. And all these people, you know, it's, it, you realize how small the world really is. Like people in Argentina reaching out to me because, you know, there are a lot of Italians mm-hmm. that, that moved to Argentina and Australia. And, you know, these people are like, we might be related. I'm a Malazzi. This is so cool. I've always heard about this town, but I never knew what it was about. And, it's amazing to be able to share that because there are so many people from this tiny little town. And I think people from Italy in general that have that story of they want to reconnect. I'm lucky that I still have family there. I still have aunts and uncles. My grandmother's still there. But there are a lot of Italian-Americans that they're third, fourth generation Italian-American and might not even know where their family's from. They, they might say, well, they're from somewhere near Naples or they're from somewhere near Milan, you know, wherever it is. But I think that also touches people in a very yeah. unique way that, wow, this is someone who's relatively young, who's American, who still has a strong connection to her roots, to a place that's very unique to still have roots there right. uh, in the United States. Right. So I think that, that that was something really special to share with people because it's, it's all real. I mean, you, you see my family, you see everybody. It's, it's really fun for me to be able to do that. Well, it's definitely a, a big part of, you know, why we do the show. And, yeah. and I think in our own way, we find similarly that it's the Italian American podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping Italian Americans mm-hmm. learn about their heritage because no one else is doing it. And I, yeah. I do think in this vein, I understand what you're saying when you found something that nobody else is doing. And I think that people like the podcast for reasons similar to what you just said, which is yeah. they want to reconnect. They want yeah. to find that that way back to it. They don't even know how they lost it. Sometimes it was the generations yeah. before them and yeah. and such. So we, we definitely get letters similarly to really helping me to connect again to my heritage. And um, it's really an important thing. And, you know, you and I, we're, we're first generation. So we're kind of lucky we're still so connected yeah. and tied. You know, I, I hope sometimes that when I share the stories of my family, I'm helping people who are maybe a few more generations removed going to feel that connection, totally. you know, totally. but totally. I did want to ask you about that first episode in Italy. Yeah. And because of course we're the Italian American podcast, you know, what was that like? Because that seems to me like a very magical experience, you know, to be with your nonna in that town, part of these, this ancient tradition, I'm sure that they're doing in terms of the dance and talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it was, I almost wish I could go back and do it now. 
<laughs> now I that I that. know, yeah. now that I know what I'm doing, because it was an extremely stressful yet beautiful time. So for example, my grandmother, who I love dearly, she's adorable. She didn't quite understand what we were doing. Try explaining to <laughs> your Italian grandmother that you're coming here to film a show about travel and dance. Right. And, you know, and she's used to watching Rai and, and they mm-hmm. do like uh, Linea Blue, Linea Verde. So I'm like, it's similar to Linea Verde, except we're not just showing the place. We're showing the dances. And it just didn't click. Right. right? So there's this she's very old school. So it's very a little frustrating. But at the same time, it was wonderful. We have all this footage of her telling old stories in Italian, which we don't use. But it was for like a personal history that I have of her telling the stories of the war. But then also being able to jump in with the dancers, it was this frustrating, beautiful time because Italy is Italy. It's a beautiful country, but it's not the best run country in the Mm -hmm. sense like it's almost like island time, you know? Oh, my God. One hundred percent. Right. So I get there and I'm meeting. Everyone was so warm and generous, but they're like, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And I don't think people realized you know, I came with a, a crew and we're going to film and they're like, maybe you'll jump in with the dancers. And I said, no, 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 no. I need to jump in with the dancers. <laughs> That's the point. Like right. I need to dance with you. And it wasn't like they, I wasn't speaking Italian. It was, it was lost in translation in the sense of its urgency because it was summer. It was in Southern Italy. It's this beautiful beach town. You know, it's, I don't think they realized what was at stake because they didn't. Right. I was putting everything on the line. I understand so, that. You know what I mean? Yes. So there was this wonderful euphoric feeling once it actually happened. Because there were three days when I, we would go to the rehearsals and I would sit on the sidelines and like, oh, Michaela, you're going to have to wait. Like maybe this dance. And I'm thinking to myself, what did I do? I'm, I flew my friends out here. I'm paying them. We're staying with my grandmother. We're not even going to get the shot of me dancing with anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And so when it finally happened, it was this amazing connection that I felt with them because I, I think at that point they realized my intentions of I really wanted to jump in and, and dance and I really wanted to know what this dance group meant to these people half of them who I re- related to you know like in some way or another second third cousin something like that and that's when they opened up and said you know these are our traditions it's the sister city most of the people that moved from Minturno went to Stanford Connecticut wow. and so they all have family in Stanford and they all have some person they know that lives in Stanford. And it was this connection of saying, we are keeping our traditions alive. And we know that you and Stanford are keeping the traditions alive. It might not be as grandiose and big, but it was very emotional for me to get up and be there. I danced on stage with the group and they asked me to come and, and we were doing a live feed to Stanford. I really? think it was like, yeah, it was like a Skype. And I just got super emotional because I'm like, man, this is actually coming true. Like I came here and I did it. I came and filmed with my family and this was my goal. And we actually made it happen and it actually worked. They actually let me dance and dress in costume and it came together. Before you continue, I'm curious as to why do you think they were giving you a hard time about dancing to begin with? I think it was just logistics, to be honest. Like rehearsals would start a couple hours late. You know, I think that they saw me coming in And to be honest, maybe they thought I wasn't going to pick up the dances right away, you know? So they thought, oh, Mikela's not going to be able to learn this that quickly, or we have to fiddle her in, we have to do this. I think it was totally innocent. It wasn't like she's not worthy of 
coming in. I think it was just logistics of it takes us forever to get everybody rounded up. It's like herding cats. Got you know? it. Right. Like this is <laughs> this is what we do every year and it's hard yeah. enough for us to learn it. Yeah. You can't just yeah. jump in and think it's going to work. Right. And I think they thought, oh, she's going to film us dancing. That's great. And that's the point of bare feet is wherever I go, I'm not just showing these dancers. I jump in with them. I become very vulnerable safely, obviously, but become very vulnerable in the situation in that I am directly trying to learn and right. follow and mimic what's happening. When you watch the show, you do have a the vulnerability. There's a good word for it. There's always a moment in the show where, at least for me, when I watch it, I'm like, is she going to get it? Is she yeah. going to get the dance? Yeah. And you kind of feel like you, you laugh sometimes, you chuckle if you misstep. And it's good because I feel like you're me. If mm -hmm. I was trying to learn that dance, but mm -hmm. then I remember like, wait, she's really trained in this. <laughs> like she totally is not me. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't get it, but no, she gets that, it. <laughs> that's how it is at every episode. I'm like, maybe this is the one I don't get. Maybe this is the one. Luckily, I haven't hit that yet. And that's why I think Italy, Minturno really opened up to me because I did at that point, I gained their trust, you know, and to be fair, I had nothing to show them. You know, I had nothing to show them to say, this is my intention. These are the videos I want to make. They were the first. Right. They were the very first. So they're taking a chance on me like, what is what is Michaela doing? I don't understand. Nobody was doing this six years ago. Right. And, and so everyone was a little confused. Everybody was confused. And so now it's incredible. My videos are on their tourism site. I mean, they're like... Wow. So proud of what I'm doing. I'm in Stanford and all of the Italian American community comes up to me. And I'm not saying this to boast, but they, there's been a switch of like, Michaela, we are so proud of you that you represent us, you know, but that took a really long time to show, to really make that to come to fruition because also think I shot that in July of 2010 and those videos didn't come out till almost three years later. So everyone's like, well, I don't know what she did with that. You know, right. who knows what happened with those videos. Right. Even my grandmother, you know, she's so funny. My parents are super supportive, but my grandmother, after having a stay with her and she would always, I'd tell her I'm working, I'm on the computer, I'm working. She thinks like, she's not getting anything done. She's just sitting in front of a screen. <laughs> and then, we know that. you know what I mean? It's yes. like, <laughs> to, trying to explain to your Italian grandmother, like, this is actual work. I'm connected to the internet. This yeah. is working. She's like, you're but, not even sweating. Yeah, I don't exactly. know what that means. That's not yeah. work. <laughs> you're not bending up and down. Trying to... <laughs> this is so wonderful is that so we had the show aired. Our series premiere was the Minturno episode in New York City, which aired in 2014 in New York, Connecticut, Long Island, New Jersey, and my grandmother watched it and she, it clicked. It right. took, she needed to see it. It's what Michaela has been working on. And there are two things. The funniest was like our whole family, my whole family, the whole town of Stanford was watching and they call, the phone was ringing off the hook and they're like, Giuseppe, not her name's Giuseppe. <laughs> say VIP, say, you know, you're a VIP now. Like what, <laughs> you're going to get an Academy Award. She just loved it. She loved it. And then that was validation for Michaela, whatever you're doing, may God bless you. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, honestly, the Southern Italians, I'm generalizing here, but it's a tough crowd. And when, oh. you know, when it comes to, they're not just going to praise anything. And I completely know that where like, they want to see it. Oh yeah. They want proof. Yeah. Like talky it, talky, but like, let's see the work. Yeah. So when she <laughs> saw herself on television, that's when it was real for her. Obviously it was totally real for her. And then 
you know, I have fans that ask about Nonna Pina all the time because she's just adorable. And so there was definitely a switch, but it was a really hard process. I'm not going to like romanticize it. It was a really hard process when I first got there and when I filmed it because I had nothing to show for it before and I didn't have anything to show for quite a while. But now, you know, it's part of, you look up Minturno and you'll see my videos. It's one of the top things that pops up. You go to Minturno's tourism site, it's, they pop up. I mean, it's really wonderful to know that they've embraced what I'm doing. Malazzi is a really common name in that area. I think Malazzi comes from Minturno in that general area. So like I said, people around the world are connecting with me through that name. And it's been really nice knowing that that story has resonated for the people that live there, for the people that have emigrated from there and for other Italian Americans that see that story and think, man, that's the type of life my grandparents Mm, had or my great grandparents had that I never knew about. I know that this is something, and this is an Italy that nobody sees. My crew, my friends that came with me, one of my guys said, you know, I've never been to Italy, but this is the Italy that nobody shows you. Right. You know, it's, it's usually like Tuscan vineyards and Mm -hmm. Florence, but, but where most of us here, uh, most of us Italian Americans come from, it's not Mm -hmm. there at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's towns like the one you've been describing for sure. Yeah. And they're beautiful in their own way. They're, they're brutal in -hmm. their own way, but there's like a beauty in that somehow it's very hard to describe, but it's there, you know? Well, what did it feel like when they actually, let you dance and you were actually doing this tradition with your ancestral, you know, your ancestral town and the family. I mean, it seems yeah. like so beautiful to me. Yeah. It, well, growing up, the beautiful thing about my family here in the States is we kept those traditions on our side. So dressing up like a pakiana, it's like a, our traditional dress. We have like a starched white hat. It looks basically like a big box. You're wearing a box on your head, but we grew up putting pieces together that we could find to make our own costumes here and trying to maintain the dances here. But doing it there was different. The nuances, because I'm a dancer, the nuances were different. The rhythms were slightly different. You can see how we lost some of the purity of the dance and the tradition from when it was brought over. The songs that they sang were slightly, some of the words they used were a little different in the instrumentation because they just didn't have the same instrumentation in the States. The skirts that they wore were slightly different colors. You know, I always thought growing up, my skirt was blue and black and and the colors were red and black and blue. And you go there and it's lots of browns, you know, and I'm like, man, this is so strange. But it was this really, and they, they did things differently, but it was familiar yet foreign because it was different from how we did it. And there was something about dancing with them that made me realize I come from this place physically. I come from this place. This ground that I'm dancing on is where I should have been born. And that's a really strange concept. But when I was there, because both my parents were from there, you know, it was sort of like it was my alternate universe of this is what it could have been if we didn't leave. You know, I I probably would have been dancing anyway, because that's just how I am in nature. But um, it was this really rooted feeling of feeling really rooted to the ground and rooted by meaning physically rooted to the ground, touching the ground and dancing there and and borrowing people's 
pieces of costume. Like I'm wearing, you know, it wasn't a brand new costume. It was piece from one woman and another piece from another girl, another piece. So I felt connected with people because I physically was using their stuff. I was on the land that these people, that my people are from, and it's very powerful. And the music and seeing these families and getting on stage with them. And it's not a very difficult dance, but it's something about the dance is based on people working in the fields and working with the wheat and these costumes that they would wear were their Sunday's best, you know? And so being dressed in something that was much more traditional to that place versus what we had here in, in the United States made me feel more, again, rooted in what it meant to be from this place specifically. And I've never felt that as strongly, even when I go back, but it something about the movements, you know, of like being with these people, realizing this is my land, dirt, grass, wheat, you know, it's really kind of incredible. It's a beaut yeah, you just put it very beautifully. I, I think beginning with your description of the the way it kind of changed the tradition changed in mm -hmm. America. I think we talk so much on the show about there really is a difference between Italians and Italian-Americans. Oh, for sure. Right? For sure, there for are sure. two different cultures, but at the <laughs> same time, as you also went in to describe, they're the same because there's mm -hmm. this shared something that goes back mm -hmm. to the homeland. It goes mm -hmm. back to the motherland. It goes right back to Italy. And your description of the ability to feel clicked right back into that. Here you are doing this dance in a traditional way, so you thought, but Americanized, right? Mm -hmm. Italian-Americanized, mm -hmm. let's say. Mm -hmm. But right when you go back to Italy and you're in it, you feel that connection because you know it belongs to you. Yeah. It's why we're, we encourage people, if possible, to go back to Italy if they haven't. Yeah. Because you need to feel that. Yeah. You know, and I remember feeling it as a little girl when I couldn't have even begun to articulate that I was Italian-American mm -hmm. or, or, you know what I mean? All these concepts that I can uh, articulate now. Mm -hmm. It was just this feeling I just going there being there in those houses that look nothing like the houses you grew up in mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you you're there and you're like I just feel this inside me I'm fortunate I'm extremely fortunate to know where my family comes from because there are a lot of people especially in the United States that cannot trace those roots back and I understand from doing this why people have that empty feeling or there's a, a really wonderful saying called blood memory, mm, you know, blood memory. Yeah, exactly. That's Where, what I was just trying to describe. Go ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you can't find those roots, there still is some sort of innate memory of where your family is coming from. And having that experience in Italy myself, and then being able to go around the world and really connect with people that way, I see how, you can really make this bond with your own ancestral heritage without really knowing it enough. You know, it's sort of a strange concept, but I get it. I totally get it. And I sympathize wholeheartedly for people who don't have the opportunity or the ability or any sort of means of finding out what those roots are. And I think especially as Italian-Americans, we're in a position where it's fairly easy to find out where you come from. You know, whether your family came to Ellis Island, if you can find out where the town is that your family's from, go to the church mm. and there is a history 
that goes back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that you can find how far back, you know, your whole family history. Usually it'll be in the town church. That's a luxury, I think, you know, so you should use that, use those assets that we have, because at some point you're going to lose that same thing, that blood memory, the memory of where you come from. And I think passing it down to generations is super important. My husband is Italian American. He's half. He didn't grow up speaking Italian, but his grandfather was first generation. And it's amazing how much he lost of his Italian heritage because his parents wanted to American, the mm-hmm. typical Italian American story, his parents yeah. wanted to Americanize the kids. They grew up in Chicago and it wasn't really a great time to be Italian American. Mm-hmm. We hear it and, again and again on the show yeah, from people. Yeah. Like- so when, when my husband and I got married and our families came together, there was this sort of ignition of passion for his memories of being a kid and hearing those words in Italian and the foods that we would eat. And you could tell there was something in my husband's grandfather that was sparked, re-sparked. And it was this sort of like a tingling, you know, of him, like, I have these fond memories, but I could never pinpoint what they meant or what they were Mm. or how they were part of my life. And I think being connected with my family helped him kind of rediscover a little bit, you know, not fully, but reminded him of these fond memories that he sort of lost. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah. So I think it's, if you have the access to be able to get to that information, do it while you can. Because what a piece of you is lost. I mean, what a piece of your husband's grandfather that is just hanging out there, not, not integrated, not utilized in his life. It was a really, yeah, but it was a really wonderful way to, to see this resurgence of his Italian heritage, because let's be real. A lot of people's association with Italian Americans is negative in the sense of mafia or Jersey Shore or, you know, things that are, don't represent all Italian Americans. And he was growing up in Chicago at a time when, when the mob was very prevalent and strong and he stayed out of that, but it was either that or reassociate yourself as a fully American right. because you don't want to be associated with that. So I think that's why seeing my family and, you know, being a part of that family, him seeing like, no, there is that Italian heritage without the association of anything that he had in Chicago. And that was everywhere. You know, right. it's it's not just because times are Chicago. different now. Yeah. No, of course, we hear just from, you know, we had Gates Elise on the show and he, of course, grew up in World War II America. And mm-hmm. he said mm-hmm. it was like a choice. You felt like if you identified with being Italian, you were a traitor to the country because here we are mm-hmm. at war mm-hmm. with the country. Right. So all anybody wanted in the community was just like, hush, hush, speak English, act right. American. And, right. you know, it, it was a different time. Yeah, totally. I actually don't know if I'm putting you here on the spot here, but since you're no, the first, ahead. you know, dance related guest we've had on, I have always been so enamored by and drawn to the Tarantella. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about, I, I, to me, it's the most traditional of traditional Southern Italian dances, at least here as Italian Americans, and there is never, you know, a wedding or right a christening or communion that seems right. complete unless we are all doing the tarantella. And in my own way, I feel what I can imagine is a fraction of what you felt when you were dancing, you know, filming your first episode 
whenever mm. we do the Tarantella. And I've written like stories about the Tarantella. It seems to me just such a beautiful dance in our culture. So I'm wondering if you know anything about the Tarantella, the history, what it means. I don't know anything, just comments you might have about that dance. Yeah. So it's interesting because the American, Italian American Tarantella and the Italian Tarantella are sort of two different things, which again, we go back to like evolution and, and right. immigration and, and dilution of, of cultures. But for us, the Tarantella is this joyous, celebratory dance that people do for weddings and whatever holidays. And in Italy, it is that, but it's also a little more stylized. So you have our folk dances include the Tarantella, which is fairly new compared to other folk dances. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, new meaning in the past hundred years. So the Tarantella is really what it was is sort of showing off figures and figures meaning, you're, you know, like making figures in circles and partners and kind of coming up. But you're it's this vigorous dance that you're skipping basically the whole time. What I think with the Tarantella, because it was it evolved from the Tamuriata and the Pizziga. And the Pizziga is one of the oldest dances that comes from Italy that people don't really know about, which is incredible. I've never uh, heard of it. I really assume the Tarantella was like the oldest or something. I just made yeah. that Yeah. No, no, no. It, <laughs> but it's because it's been passed down for so long and everybody knows, dun, 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 you know, right, like, right. <laughs> you go, you think of an Italian wedding, you see that. And mm-hmm. yes, that's exactly what it is. But I, if you go to an, a wedding in Italy, they don't do the tarantella. They don't do it. It's something that is done more out of ceremony. And la pizzica is the same thing. And if you think of tarantella, tarantula, all of these dances come from the idea that you were bit by a spider, right? Mm. And your body is overcome with this venom of the spider and you need to dance out the venom. And that's what pizzica wow. comes from. Pizzica means a bite. Right. And if you think about that, it's really not that. It's That's a lie. What it is is when women were depressed, they would have these ceremonies to take out the depression. And the quote unquote depression was the bite of the spider. You were bitten by the, the spider's depression, you know, your ailment was depression. So it comes from this really old pagan ritual that eventually evolved into something different, which keeps evolving. So the Tarantella that we did in Minturno is really came together in the early 20th century. And it was because people wanted to come together and make these dances that looked pretty, you know, Mm -hmm. it was no longer about this sort of And I'm going really deep into this, but it was a joyous dance. But I think when people came to America, what I always think is so sad because I love dancing is Italy has beautiful love songs and opera. Just the music is so passionate and beautiful and the art and the sculpture and everything. But our dances are so overlooked and there aren't that many. There aren't that many. Yeah. But if you go to like other cultures, there's like a million folk dances but Italy is the one country and our food, you know, everybody knows Italian food, sure. but nobody knows except for the Tarantella, which is a simple dance. Nobody knows and nobody really passes down these dances, but there's been, been this resurgence of pizzica from Puglia, which is now becoming really popular with, with kids and young people throughout Italy. So there's this sort of resurgence of going back to our roots and bringing pizzica and tamburiata and tarantella back to the forefront. But for a long time, it was just like, oh, we don't do the tarantella. Like, you know, so, and I think that's why in America, 
it's been preserved because the people of that generation that came over in the 1800s, early 1900s, were doing the tarantella. Right. Came over, kept doing it. And it evolved into what it is now, big circle dance and everything, right. you know. But in Italy, things evolved as well and they stopped doing it. So to me, when you think of tarantella, what we think of, it's Italian-American evolution of the people that came here and brought it over. If you go to Italy and do pizzica, do tamuriata, do the tarantella, it's different. It's really interesting. It's more reserved depending where you go. It's more stylized. It's more choreographed. And that's just evolution of dance, evolution of people, of human. And, you know, these dances are ways that people communicated. And there are some cultures where it's being lost, but there's some cultures that it keeps evolving. And there's some cultures where like being in the U S being an Italian American, you know, you're going to do the tarantella at your wedding. Right. You know, right. It's, it's just, right. That's what you do. So um, better. Yeah. <laughs> long answer I'm sorry <laughs> no it, no it's it's great I, I was actually laughing in my in my head because when I started asking you the question I was like I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot like as if as if you might not know the response and then you started <laughs> talking and I was like oh no like she totally knows the response yeah no it's um which is great I mean we we talk so often on the show again about the way that not only the traditions, Italian traditions have changed, like they get Americanized, you know, like they'll get supersized or they just shift. And, and it's this hybrid thing all of a sudden, beautiful in and of its own right, you know, but also how the Italian traditions get frozen in mm -hmm. the Italian American yes. culture. Yes. Yes. Right. Because you're the people leave the country at a certain time and they take with them what they remember and they pass that on to the rest of us. It's funny you say that because my parents, when they go back to Italy, their friends joke that they still talk like they, you know, they say words that nobody says anymore. Oh, it's almost yeah. like if someone from the U.S. was stuck in 1966 and was like put on an island somewhere and they're still saying like groovy, man. Right, you know? right. it's, like this, it's the same thing. I and never it, thought of that. That's a yeah. great analogy. Yeah. And it's for my family. I feel for my parents because they don't identify 100 percent as American, but they also don't identify 100 percent as Italian. Right. But they do have that community of these Italian-American people that they've grown up with and shared experiences with in this place. And that's their identity. That is totally their identity. And it makes perfect sense. You know, they still talk in the dialect that they used when they were kids that yes, people still speak in the dialect, but everyone's speaking Italian now. Right. And I speak in the dialect. So they see this American come over and I'm saying these funny things that they, their grandparents say, and they're like, why do you speak like an old lady? You know? <laughs> and it's like, well, yes. that's, that's how I spoke at home. So yes, it's, it's like, incredible. This, yeah, this frozen time. And I think when I went back to film in Minturno, it was realizing what I grew up with because we'd go back and see my grandparents every once in a while, but it was very expensive to fly to Italy. So it didn't go very often, but spending that time and really immersing myself with people that I had just really met and shared this with made me realize what we had in the U.S. is a version 2.0 or 1.0, whatever they're doing in their life, the way they speak, how they dress. You see the correlation, but at the same time, you're like, this is not the same. I'm still considered American, but I'm also not considered American to them. They're like, you're not typical Americans, but you're also yeah. not like us, you know? Yeah. So it's this weird realization that you're sort of in this limbo of strange 
place. You're like a hybrid. You're, <laughs> yeah. you know, you're the hybrid thing that is both cultures, but then again, not the Italian culture that's there now. Right, right. You know, right. that's not your thing. And we, we also talk about that in the show often, too, that there, you know, there's no better way to realize you're American than to go to Italy. Mm-hmm. You, mm-hmm. you feel it. And you feel like, you know, as, as much as we can talk about you feel very connected, that blood memory, you can also feel that you're something different. Totally. You know, which is beautiful. Yeah. Well, Michaela, literally, I could talk to you for another <laughs> two hours, honestly. And, you know, we will meet up and do that off mic. So before we go, this has been so terrific. And I, I really want to thank you for just being so open and, and generous with your time. But uh, please tell our listeners where they can find you and yeah. what you're working on next. Totally. So if you want to find us, we're on all social media. It's travelbarefeet.com. And we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Travel Bare Feet. And you can watch us on your local PBS station. You can watch us on Create. So if you have the Create channel. And then starting in October, we're going to be on the PBS app on Apple TV, Roku. And just go to TravelBareFeet.com. You can see everything that we're doing from our first season that's airing now on PBS. We're currently working on our second season, which features, it's called Bare Feet in NYC. And it, that really is important to me because what we're doing is connecting with first, second, third generation immigrants in New York and diving into what I did growing up is speaking with Serbian community and their dances and Chinatown and learning their dances. So that has been a really special project for me. And that's going to be coming out on uh, national PBS starting next year. But if you're in the tri-state area, tune into NYC life and they air the show like crazy. It's one of the top shows on the station. So we love it. That's yeah. great. I mean, yeah. well, the Italian American podcast is definitely a fan. Thank and, you. That's yeah. A- yeah. We'll, we will link to all of that in our show notes. So listeners can, you can just go to a uh, Italian American podcast.com and, and you'll find all those links and definitely take a moment to check out the show. I think, uh, your hard work and everything you've achieved is, is a win for our team. So <laughs> super proud and thank you. we're definitely supporting Michaela. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Grazie Dolores. Thank you. Ciao, ciao. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview segment with Michaela. As Dolores said, she's just dynamic and she has such a passion for what she does. And Dolores, I know you really enjoyed that interview. I did. I think Michaela is really someone that the Italian American community can be so proud of. I just find her energy and her approach so pragmatic, you know? So she's she's this dreamer, but she's also so down to earth. And the mix of those two things is very inspiring, at least to somebody like me, and I, and I certainly do hope to listeners as well. She just has this work ethic while also following her dream, and it's a beautiful thing. Now it's time for our Italian-American Stories segment, where we try to bring you back to your family gatherings, conversations, we try to play a recording or a story from one of our relatives or from one of our listeners. In today's clip, you're going to hear me interview Grazia Solati from Cook with Grazia. As you know, I'm in the midst of a trip to Italy to do some research on my ancestral roots. The first stop was up in Larici, actually up in the north, because we wanted to take the kids to see the Tower of Pisa and visit the Cinque Terre. And when I was there, I happened to be there at the same time as Grazia. So before we jump into my interview with Grazia, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this segment, Select Italy. 
Select Italy is the ultimate source for travel to Italy and offers a wide array of superior Italian travel products and services, including customized itineraries, fascinating tours, romantic getaways, unique and fun culinary classes, yacht charters, transportation, hotel reservations, villa bookings, tickets for museums and musical events, and more. All right, I'm here in Italy in Larici with Grazia Solazzi from cookwithgrazia.com. And I should actually say, siamo qui a Larici in Italia. I'm working on my Italian. Um, just started a trip in Italy here. I'll be here for 42 days visiting family and just having some fun this summer. And it was great to be able to connect with Grazia here. Grazia, welcome to the Italian American podcast. Hey, thank you very much, Anthony. <laughs> So I wanted to connect with Grazia because she has an interesting background. She spends her time both in the U.S. and in Italy. But Grazia, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about how you grew up and where you grew up. Yeah, well, I, I was, as I was telling you earlier... So, I was born here in the area, close to Lirici, but that was a coincidence because uh, my dad worked here for a year, and so I, I was born in Wow. And then um, we got back, and uh, I grew up uh, in Asola, which is um, in the province of Mantova, so in Mantova, close to Mantova. Okay. And um, so my parents both are from the area, but we had a lot of ties to this place um, because, of course, you know, my parents lived here for a year. They had friends, and you know, they really liked the place. So we we kept coming back for our holidays. Okay. And to, then to Lerici. To Lerici, okay. yes. Yeah. And then. Um, Later, we decided to buy a small flat, and uh, that's how you know we kept the connection. Sì. And uh, and so and later on, actually, my husband and I bought a house before moving to the U.S. We moved to the U.S. in 2001, and we still, I mean, we are still in Portland, Oregon. So your husband is from Italy as well. He is from Italy as well. Yeah, exactly. So. So what made you move to the United States? Um, he works uh, for an American company yes, okay. in the U.S. So yeah. And then you have kids now that you had in the U.S. That... Yes, exactly. One, the very first one, was born in Italy, and uh, and then uh, the other two were born in Portland. Yes, I have oh. three kids, yeah. <laughs> so. Great. So now you kind of spend your time in the U.S. during the year, I guess during the school yes, year? Yes, uh, school year, and then uh, when school is over, we spend our summer here. And, you know, I like that both because, you know, my mom, uh, she's alive, and, you know, I, I'm an only child, so I want to be able to see her and, uh, and enjoy her company. And um, and also, I want my kids to be able to, to spend time with the family and sure. uh, keep their Italian roots, sort of. Right. So, you know, they can, you know, be immersed in bo both cultures. So mm. they are totally bilingual, for example. Wow. And, uh, and so I also started the Italian school uh, of Portland right. because of, you know, I wanted them to keep the bilingual part and be able to express themselves both in you know talking but also writing and reading so that's great because that's something that we talk about on the podcast a lot of course you know all italian americans their ancestors came from italy at some point and there was always that you know thought that as parents when you raise your kids now you want to make sure that they remember some of the culture of italy yeah. some of the heritage some of the language and it sounds like that you're doing that, which is great. And this is a great way to do it, obviously, splitting between because they get a good a good summer to, you know, come get back with their roots and meet family. 
Now, do you speak Italian all the time at home? Yes, okay. yes. I mean, that's the number one rule, you know, if you want to raise bilingual kids, is to pick a language and stick with it, and don't even allow them to answer back to you in the other language. You know, you pretend you don't understand, because otherwise it's, uh, the environment is really, really strong, and so it, it will take over. So you need to be really, really strict. It's a job, quite it's frankly. Job. It's really a job, but... Right. You know, we are lucky because my husband and I are both Italian, so it's a little harder for family that have maybe one Italian parent, the other one another nationality. Right. So it's so now you can do it because it's all Italian. Yeah, yeah, and so we only speak Italian at home, and then outside, you know, we speak English. They, the kids, of course, they go to an American yeah. school, so they yeah, are, right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about your business a bit, yeah, cooking food. with groups. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's talk about food a little bit. So how did you get into cooking and food? Well, I've always been interested in cooking. My family is actually very into that. My mom is an excellent cook. My grandma, she came from Apulia, um, so I... Oh. Southern Italy. She, she told me a lot of the a lot of the Apulian recipes, and uh, I started cooking really, really young, like uh, seven, eight years old. Wow. I started doing my very first stuff, and then you know, it, it, it's really natural to me. And I have a, a deep interest for the subject. I, I am a, a journalist uh, in Italy. I mean, you have to go through a process to become a certified journalist, and I did that. And I started working in Italy for food magazines. Oh, wow. And so I was writing about food as well. Um, I wrote for, well, for food and business, that's, that's an Italian magazine, but one that you may know is uh, Slow Food Magazine from the Slow Food uh, Movement. And then you started your business. You have a website. I see that you put up a lot of articles with recipes. Yes, you even I have, have an app. A, I have an app. I have a recipe app with 20 minutes recipes, which is uh, the name is Cook with Grazie as well. Okay. It's only 20 minutes, but it's authentic Italian recipes. Easy and, you know. Yeah. And so, with a lot of insights as well about ingredients, how to source the right ingredients. Okay. Uh, so you can navigate because, you know, sometimes, I mean, the best food is, is the simple food. And that's what I wanted to talk to you about because yeah. a lot of our listeners are Italian-Americans. So, of course, they want to try to cook Italian food. And I think sometimes, like, when you're in the U.S., people seem to make it complicated. Yes. But when I read a lot about authentic Italian cooking, it seems that the simplicity is what makes it's, it it's so good. It's key. It's key. I mean, it's simplicity, it's freshness, it's, uh, you know, local ingredients, uh, seasonal ingredients. And that's for the basis for the produce. It's really important. And then you need to have a, a few key ingredients, which are, you know, the authentic ones, the best one, like extra virgin olive oil. Go out, source a good one, because it does make a difference. And, you know, in my app and blog, I explain to people how to choose, for example, a good extra virgin olive oil. You know, go and buy real Parmigiano-Reggiano uh, or Prosciutto di Parma because those are the products that really would make a difference in, in what you're cooking. And, uh, and I mean, if you have a caprese salad, it's just, guys, seriously, mozzarella and tomato, drizzled with olive oil. But, you know, there is a huge difference between, like, an average mozzarella and an average tomato. Right. And, uh, and a tomato which was ripened in, in the sun and there's a flavor and, uh, and a great mozzarella. I mean, it's all you need, really. It's all you need, so. yeah. So... I think also people think that it takes a lot of time, and I'm sure some dishes take a lot of time, but maybe just like off the top of your head, and I know you have the app that everyone can check out, but just like what are a couple of dishes, Italian dishes, that, that are, don't take too much time? Well, you know, again, my app is only 20 minutes recipes, and I have oh, okay. almost 100 recipes oh, there. I'm great. adding more. But, you know, for example, 
I would say that the little black dress of Italian cooking is the uh, pasta al pomodoro, which is the tomato sauce, which mm -hmm. is not the marinara sauce, because the marinara sauce doesn't exist in Italy. It's an Italian-American thing, you know, so... So it's just the tomato sauce? It's just tomato sauce, so it's just a tomato saute into small sofrito, which is uh, onions with uh, olive oil and a little bit of butter, if you like that. And then you add the tomato and you let it simmer. And you add eventually some basil leaves. I mean, 20 yeah. minutes is so ready. So a little, little bit of uh, onions and then the yeah. tomato and then basil leaves and with the pasta? Exactly. And that's it. And that's the, the tomato sauce. And uh, it's, it's the basic, you know, Italian condiment for pasta, sauce mm. for pasta, yeah. And from there, there are so many different variations that you can, uh, you know, you add a bunch of olives and, you know, that's a completely different sauce. You, you add a bunch of, you know, other ingredients. And it's, it's really easy to make. And, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me ask you this question. You know, obviously, we know Italian-Americans, their ancestors came from Italy. So, you know, some of the stuff that they've learned has been passed down. And I'm sure some of it's been modified, like you said. Some of it's become Italian-American cooking because yeah. they had to use whatever they had in America. Absolutely. They didn't have yeah. all the same produce. But from the Italian perspective, what do they think of, like, American food? Do they think it's too much? Or I see that here, like, maybe they don't eat as much or they split into different portions. Well, first of all, it's, it's a little bit different. It probably, you mean by the how much you eat and when you eat or yeah, the, yeah, the meals? Like, how like the how meal, you... like, what's the difference in the meal breakdown? It seems just okay. being here a week, it's a lot different. Well, I would say that uh, we have a lighter breakfast usually and uh, lunch and dinner, but usually no snacks. Okay. So probably our meals are a little bit, they are not as small. I mean, I see, I don't know, in, in America. They're different sections, like yeah. creamy, secondary, right? They're yeah. different. Yeah, but you don't need the, the old thing. I okay. mean, not anymore. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit hard to have a lunch, you know, or for a dinner with a pasta, yeah. primo, secondo, dessert. Yeah. You know, you don't okay. You do not do that on a daily basis because otherwise, you know, it would yeah, be yeah, too, too much. much yeah. But what you don't do, you don't snack as much as in the U.S. So probably you have uh, bigger meals than what I see from my friends. You know, my friends keep eating. They eat all day long. Right. But they don't have a, like, they don't sit and have a meal. Right. Whereas we do sit, have a meal with the family. Yeah. And, uh, and then we don't eat for three, four, five hours, whatever. And right. then again, we sit with the family, we have a big meal. Right. So it's, it's more about the meals as opposed to the snacks. Exactly. Getting yeah. the family together, being around the, the table together. And also focusing on what you are eating. Because when you snack, you don't pay too much attention. Whereas mm. uh, when, you, when you sit and have your plate in front of you, you look at that, you taste it. You take time to enjoy it. Okay, so, so you enjoy the meals most you can. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's definitely something that I see here. And they eat dinner later, is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, dinner here is at 9. 9, yeah. I mean, usually 8.30 <laughs> at the earliest. Yeah, I, I just had a few friends coming here, and they wanted to have dinner like 6.37. They are not even open at that time, so... <laughs> It's a little bit difficult. I know we're walking back to the beach with our kids at six thirty, seven o'clock, and I'm looking at all the restaurants. There's no one sitting anywhere. No, especially in June because days are so long, right. and, and you right. know it's so hot that if you are at the beach, you want to be there at seven because it's beautiful. Still, sunshine is not as hot anymore. Right. Maybe you go for a swim. And it's so. light here till nine, ten o'clock at yeah. night. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. What are some of the things that we can see from you? 
in the future? You're going to keep adding recipes to yes, the app? Yes, I'm, I'm working on new recipes for my app, and uh, I also want to launch a couple of uh, e-books for now, and then eventually a paper book. I will uh, probably do like a fundraiser campaign for that, but that will be in a, in a few months. I'm not ready to do that yet, so I'm working on it. Great. Before we wrap up here, I'm just interested to know, like, between the U.S. and Italy, you know, you live in both spots. Maybe what are some of the things that you like about one and then what you like about the other? Obviously, you live in the U.S. Yes, So, yes. you know, what, what, maybe you could just tell our, our audience what are some of the differences. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about some of them, but... Yes, yes. So, I, I would say that something that I, I like, well, of course, uh, about Italy, it's, it's home for me. Sure. It's where I grew up. So, right. it's where my friends are. It's the place of my heart basically where my heart is but I since I moved to the US there are a few things that I really appreciate from the American culture and one of them is for sure the fact that rules are clear and are fair to anyone and that's uh, you know there is a meritocracy which you know gives credit and uh, you know um, gives back to people that you know work hard and um, and in Italy unfortunately this is not always the case and uh, this is probably one of the reasons why this country is not going that well the second thing that i truly truly love about my american friends is uh, their passion i mean yeah. and their enthusiasm you know i i see so much enthusiasm and passion in what people are doing and uh, optimism and also I mean whenever there is something going bad or wrong they just um, you know learn from it and uh, turn page and start a new page mm-hmm. and, and with what they have learned from the past in Italy we tend to be more pessimistic yeah. you know let's prone to close the page and you know to turn the page and um, so I, I really do appreciate this mentality of you know being okay let's do this and you know let's do it again yes we did wrong but who cares now we are it's a new day so so it's um even if even if that happens i mean they they have this uh, this enthusiasm to start back so it's Hmm. that's interesting that's a really interesting point because you know we talk about this on the podcast a lot a lot of italian americans you know they're ancestors came to America because they were so poor. Yes. And they had nothing. Yes. And they came and they just worked hard and they had that passion and it seems that they've handed that down to a lot of Americans. Yes. Which is what you're describing, which is interesting that you say that and that's kind of why I wanted to understand that, but I mean, I think it's even me, like my grandparents didn't have any money when they came here. Yeah. So I think I see a lot of that passion in a lot of Americans and a lot of optimism that, you know, listen, we came from something that was really hard and we made it this far. So now we can just keep going no matter what happens. Yes. So it's great that you see that. Well, all right, I want to thank you for taking a few minutes. Thank you to so meet much. With me. Thank you. And uh, <laughs> Cooking with Grazia, check out the website, which is... Cookwithgrazia.com. And Grazia is spelled as G-R-A-Z-I-A. And the app is in the App Store? It's in the App Store. It's for iPhone only. So if you want to download from the iPad, I think you have to still download from the from the iPhone, but then you can download from the cloud to the iPad as well. So you can see it both ways, and it works perfectly on the iPad as well. Great. Alrighty, ciao from Larici. Ciao, ciao. <laughs> Grazie. All right, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Grazia from Cook with Grazia. I'd like to once again thank our sponsor for this segment of the episode, Select Italy. 
Everything you need for optimum travel to Italy is possible with Select Italy. And now, thanks to Select Italy, you can combine yoga with your next Italian vacation. Join Ariana Sertoli, a certified holistic health coach, self-trained chef, and yoga teacher in early September for a yoga retreat in the enchanting region of Puglia, the heel of Italy. Experience a unique vacation in the name of adventure, wellness, healthy food, Italian wonders, and yoga practice. Visit selectitaly.com forward slash yoga for details. All right, now I'm going to kick it over to Dolores. She's going to take us out of this episode, but before she does, she's going to read a touching note from one of our listeners. Yeah, Anthony, this letter really went straight to both of our hearts, I know, so much so for me that I had family dinner on the day we received it, and I was lucky enough to be able to read it to my entire family as we were sitting on the back porch around the dinner table, and even they were very moved by it. And it begins, Anthony and Dolores, thank you so much for creating the Italian American podcast. It's wonderful to listen to two other young Italian Americans such as yourselves expressing such interest and passion in our shared heritage and culture. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and for all of your work on this podcast. I should also share that your podcast has made a great impact on me personally. Since I was a young child, I often felt what Dolores refers to as blood memory. This insatiable desire to understand and appreciate my Italian-American ethnicity more, to feel more connected with my ancestors. Having lost all of my grandparents at a young age, or having had several of them pass before I was born, it's been challenging to learn more about the extended family and our history. I often feel like I lost out on a beautiful opportunity to learn from my grandparents, about their memories, their parents, and as a lover of Italian language, their specific dialect, which has since been lost in the family. My favorite section of your podcast is the story segment, and my favorite one so far was listening to Dolores's family chat while making Christmas desserts. It immediately felt familiar, and it also represented several generations of family, her parents, her siblings, and her nieces and nephews. Listening to everyone gathered around, laughing and loving, it reminded me of the times with my own family around the dinner table on holidays. Listening to Dolores's mother share her stories coming to the U.S. nearly brought tears to my eyes. It was the very conversation I wished I'd had with my own older relatives. It gave me a glimpse of some of what my great-grandparents may have experienced. For a few minutes, I felt like I was home, listening to the stories of my own family. To be able to relive some aspect of that imagined experience through another Italian-American's family was truly a blessing for me. I have also since decided to begin doing oral history interviews with members of my extended family to fill in some of the gaps. So, thank you again. Sincerely, Andy Cofino. So really, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to write us and to so honestly and authentically express how the show has helped you. We love the letters, Paisani. Please keep them coming. All right. Here's where you can find us on social media. We are on Instagram at Italian American. We are on Twitter at Ital American, I-T-A-L American. And we are on Facebook at Italian American Podcast. Ci vediamo!